Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey and I'm your host. Joining me, Aubrey, our co-host. Welcome, friends. I am so excited to be back with you and for you to join us either for the first time, maybe it's your first time listening to the podcast, or if you've joined us again, we are so happy to have yeah. you back with us. This is an incredible Oof. interview that they're about to listen to. Man, Vanitha is, she is sharp. Like, She's I having a conversation fire. with her, I was like, oh my gosh, this... This woman is unbelievable. And, uh, yes. And then, and then, you know, there, it's funny because a lot of our circles have been kind of like overlapping and stuff. And I've been hearing other people, have you heard of this, Vanitha Reisner? Have you heard of it? And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, we just had her on the podcast. It's amazing. So I've been so excited for you guys to hear this conversation I have with her. Um, she has two books out. Uh, one is called Walking Through Fire, and, and it's a, a memoir. And then she also has a devotional called The Scars That Have Shaped Me. And when I heard her story, I said, there's probably not a more perfect guest for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. She happens That's to be right. a regular contributor for Desiring God, um, which is just a, you know, a small uh, blog out no there. No big deal. Just a, just a lot a of people haven't one. heard of yeah, it. Yeah, never heard of that one. Uh, but she writes about finding God in suffering and so, so appropriate. So you're going to enjoy this conversation Um, And I know it's going to minister to you. If you are encouraged by this conversation or really any of the conversations that we have here on the Nothing is Wasted podcast, we would love for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We want to know how God is speaking to you through the podcast. That gives us the resilience and the strength to keep serving you, keep bringing you hope in your headphones. And it helps other people find out about the Nothing is Wasted podcast as well. So go ahead and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts today. Yeah, make sure you stick around after my conversation with Vanitha because Aubrey and I are going to kind of break it down a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk mm-hmm. about and uh, provide you some commentary of what God's doing in us and teaching us and uh, how that applies to what Vanitha's talking about. So make sure you stick around for that. And let's go ahead and listen to my interview with Vanitha Reisner. Vanitha, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Davey. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Vanitha, I would love, you know, we've got a lot that we're going to talk about, and I even got a strong sense before we started recording that um, the Lord is really going to use this conversation in a powerful way. And I know there's a lot of hurting people who are listening to this, and you've walked through a lot of different types of trial, a lot of different types of adversity and pain and loss and trauma. And, and so we're going to touch on all of those. But before we do that, before you kind of share your story with us, and then we talk about what God's done in and through you in that story, uh, I would love for you to share a little bit about where you are right now. What do you do? Uh, tell us a little bit about your family. Uh, where, where are you located? Just give us a little present day context. Okay. Well, um, I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and right now I'm a writer. I had a career in business and gave that up when I realized I wasn't great at numbers, and there was a lot (laughs) of reasons why that wasn't a good thing for me. Um, So I write. I just wrote a book, Walking Through Fire, which is in a memoir, and I have have a blended family. So my husband has two daughters, and so I have two stepdaughters and two sons, wonderful sons-in-law who are great, and then I have two of my own daughters, 
Katie and Christy. And Christy actually usually works in this library where I am. So I kicked her out to have this podcast. <laughs> and so, yeah, they're great. And we have a dog, Mocha, who runs the family. So <laughs> Naturally. He's probably the most. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Miniature That's poodle. Funny. That's why I've held at bay. I've got a seven-year-old, a six-year-old and a one-year-old and they keep begging me to get them a dog. And I'm like, no, we're not getting a dog. I know what a dog means. It means that I'm going to take care of the dog. It's going to dictate my schedule and therefore the entirety of our family schedule. So I've been, I've been holding that at bay. So pray for me. Yes. I, I mean, you got to stand strong, I would say. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to crack here pretty soon because they're showing me pictures of dogs and my heart's already melting. Yeah. The they're really they're cute. Oh I have man, to say. they really are. They You'll really love are. it. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, um, you're, you've got this beautiful blended family and I can completely resonate because that's, that's our family as well. We're, we're a blended family. And the more that we're walking this journey, the more we're realizing that that's a lot of families out there that, you know, the, the, the typical normal nuclear family, um, it, it looks so different now. It's not, it's not necessarily this, like, I mean, I would feel like most, almost half, half of the families out there are blended because of a lot of different, uh, hardship, pain, loss, uh, divorce, things that people have walked through. And so um, I know that we're going to, we'll probably get to some of that in just a second, but I would love to talk about the things that you've walked through that have led you up to this point. And so why don't you take us back to the very beginning, whatever you would consider the beginning and, and just story with us a little bit about what okay. you've walked through. Yeah, I'd love to. Well, I was born in India to Christian parents, and when I was three months old, I contracted polio. And I was born in 64, and polio had been eradicated eradicated in 52. I'm oh, sorry, there was the vaccine in 52. Right. So it was pretty much eradicated. But in India, they don't give the polio vaccine at three months. They give it at six months. So the doctors, mm -hmm. though, had no idea what I had. I had a 105-degree fever. They'd never seen it before. It was a young doctor and she thought I had typhoid. So she immediately gave me cortisone, which lowered my body's temperature, but it also lowered my immune system. Wow. So I was quickly paralyzed and they had no idea what was wrong. Wow. And then they finally realized, oh my gosh, she has polio, but there was nothing they could do. At that point, I was a quadriplegic, could not move my arms and legs. And wow. they basically said to my parents, this is it. There's no hope for her. And in India, disability is really a curse, yeah. whether you're, my parents were Christians, but for everybody, there's no services for the disabled. There's nothing they do. And so the doctor told my parents, you probably need to leave India if you want any help for her and even any medical kind of treatment for her. Mm. So they left. And my dad, who was an electrical engineer and a professor in India, left immediately within months and took a manual laborer's job in London ex installing telephones. Mm. So our whole family moved and I had my first surgery in England when I was two. And then we moved from England and moved to Canada. And then I just started having surgeries, Davey. And I had, um, by wow. the time I was 13, I actually had 21 operations. Wow. So I, and I lived in the hospital. When I was young, we, I was part of a um, my parents, with their insurance, we needed to go to a free hospital. It was the Shriners Hospital in Montreal. And because it was a free hospital, they didn't want parents visiting their kids because a lot of parents would just travel from all over the country and leave their children there and couldn't visit them. And so even if you could visit your children, you weren't allowed to. Wow. So I was pretty much alone. Once I was in the hospital for nine months straight and my parents could only see me uh, on the weekend, on Saturday. So that just set me up for this 
life of isolation. Yeah. I feel like I kind of lived on my own. The kids in the ward were the people I hung out with. And that was hard, but was harder was when I got out of the hospital and kids would make fun of me because I had a pretty pronounced limp. I still do. And they would just laugh at me and ask me what was wrong with me. And I remember right after I got out of the hospital, when I was seven, and that's when I actually learned to walk, mm. I was walking by myself and these boys jumped me. They didn't. They threw stones at me and they pushed me down and they called me a cripple. Wow. And I remember that day because that day, I don't remember that much from my childhood, but that day I remember thinking, the world is not safe. I don't understand why people did this to me, but something's wrong with me. That was the takeaway, and I'm not going to be safe anywhere. So I almost liked being in the hospital better because that felt safe. Wow. So that was kind of childhood. I was angry at God. My parents are believers, and they would talk about God. And I really thought to myself, like, who's God? Like, yeah. why should I even believe in a God that let all this happen? And I didn't tell my parents, which... I thought at the time I probably should, but I was embarrassed. I didn't want them to know that I was being made fun of that way. It yeah. was humiliating. So I never told them. So I don't think they even knew what kind of a life I was dealing with. But then when I got to high school, I got involved in FCA, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Yeah. And it was not because I was an athlete or a Christian, <laughs> but all the cute guys in my high school went to FCA. <laughs> so that was exactly where I wanted to be. So a friend of mine and I would sit in the back and we'd talk about guys. And then one day she went on a retreat and said, um, she came back and she said, God is real. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh no, this is awful. Like, you're not going to want to talk about God. You're going to want to talk about guys. And that's exactly what happened. She talked to me about God all the time until finally one night I just said, God, if you're real, please show me. Wow. And honestly, I had no idea that anything would happen. I got up the next morning, I pulled out this Bible I had gotten years earlier, and I really arrogantly, I'm so embarrassed to say, I just kind of said, God, show me, show me who you are. And why did you let all this happen to me? And and I flipped the Bible open to Leviticus and just kind of thought, okay, this is what I think of the Bible. And then I just asked one more time, show me something. Mm. And I flipped open to John 9, and it was when Jesus um, was talking to his disciples, and they saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples say, who sinned, this man or his parents, yeah. that he was born blind? And Jesus says it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but the work of God could be displayed in his life. And that was the moment for me. It was like the God of the universe was talking to me, like he was answering my question, and it was kind of weird because I would always ask the why question of what had I done? Why did I deserve this? Why did this happen? Yeah. But God answered the why question in a very surprising way. It wasn't what had I done, but what was the purpose mm. from John 9? Like there was a purpose. And so that, I was 16 years old and that seemed to answer it for me. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of like answers to everything, but somehow the fact that God can answer that big question yeah. changed everything. Wow. So I committed my life to Christ, even though I didn't really even know what that meant, honestly. Like some people come with this huge understanding of their sin. I just came with this understanding of, I need this God. Yeah. And then really got involved in FCA, went to a Bible study, and life was great for probably for 15 years. Mm. It was wonderful. 
went to grad school, um, met my husband, and then things started to fall apart. Mm. And that was really the making of my faith, but it went from sort of a very easy, wonderful, everything I did was great life to everything I did was hard mm. and horrible. Wow. So um, this moment where, where, where God shows up and you're reading John chapter nine, I think that's such a profound moment because the, mm. the why question is the question that so many people ask when pain and suffering takes place in their life, yeah. you know? And, you know, we said, we talk about this before on the podcast that it's not that God, God's not intimidated by our why questions, but I think it was very, um, it's very insightful, the distinguishing, uh, nature with which you said this why question turned into, it wasn't this why question of what have I done that would warrant this or merit this, but what is the purpose? What's the meaning behind this? Mm -hmm. That shift right there. Do you feel like that shift is necessary in terms of really coming into, um, uh, being able to walk through? Cause in a second, you're going to tell us all of the different things that, you know, that happened where your life began to unravel. But would that, was that a, a necessary foundational piece to what you were about to walk into? Oh, absolutely. But it was interesting because I think I knew it then. Like I, I got it. I understood it. But it was really as I walked through more suffering that mm. I realized how that was the big truth I needed to hold on to. So it's almost like in retrospect, looking back going, oh, yeah, and being reminded of that. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. oh, yeah. Continually getting pointed back to this. There is purpose in this. There is meaning in this. And, you know, while there may not be a, a, an actual reason that we can surmise from this on this side of eternity, the sufferings that we go through, we may not have some kind of logical, oh, here's the reason for it. Even void of reason, there is still meaning and purpose that can come out of it. Those two things I think are very different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And I think realizing that our suffering has meaning mm. changes everything. Yeah. I mean, for me, there's two big truths in suffering that change everything. One, God is with us. Mm. And that that is critical to believe and understand. And then that God is using this. Yeah. And we may never see it or never understand it. John Piper says, God is doing a thousand things in everything he does. Mm. And most of them we know nothing about. And wow. so we may see a tiny little piece, but God is doing something magnificent in all of our suffering yeah. that, that we'll see one day. And I think those two things are what ground us. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Because I found in my own life, and, and then I want to I start talking about some of the things that began happening, happening after this 15 years of what seems like bliss, and then life began to unravel. But I found in my own life that if God were to give me an explanation, it honestly wouldn't really help. Yeah. Because the loss is still there or the void is still there or the, you know, so whatever it is, whether you've lost a loved one or whether you have experienced some kind of hardship that's stolen something from you, you know, uh, whether it's physical, metaphysical, spiritual, you know, relational, whatever it is that that void is still there and the explanation doesn't help. And so the only thing that helps is that understanding that God is with you because then God can do something with it. 
Yeah. And he can turn it around. Yeah. I um I just read a quote from someone who said from Psalm 46, 10, it says, it does, it, God says, be still and know that I am God, not mm. be still and know why. <laughs> wow. And I thought that was great because it was like, once we know he is God, he is with us, he has a purpose, that changes everything. And knowing why, why the, why me? Yeah. And even knowing the purpose, like knowing that God has something so much bigger yeah. is what we we rest in. I yeah, think. that's it. Yeah, it's almost like we'll never actually know what the purpose is, but just knowing that there is a purpose really helps. Like yeah. you almost experience the purpose before you know the purpose. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. kind of experiencing it. Okay, so we t- I totally derailed you there. But <laughs> before you start, exp- I mean, now you're in walking in this in this purpose, but before that, there was this massive unraveling that happened in your life. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, the first thing that happened was I had a miscarriage and that really shocked me because I thought, oh my gosh, this life that I thought was going to be this straight line trajectory of, you know, you do the right thing and God blesses you was really hard for me. I didn't see it coming. I told everybody that we were about to have a baby and, Mm -hmm. um, and then at 12 weeks I miscarried. And so that, that was just this first real taste of, okay, there's going to be other suffering in my life. And then was pregnant with our daughter, Katie, and my husband had an affair and found out about it and really didn't know what to do with that. At that point, I was seven months pregnant thinking, I don't want to be a single mom. Do I want to reconcile with him? And we really honestly went through a lot of back and forth because at first he wasn't really sorry. But he did want to stay together and just trying to figure out what do I do with that? And I didn't tell anybody, Davey. I was I too embarrassed, I guess. I didn't want, if we reconciled, I thought, I don't want everyone to know this about us. Yeah. So I didn't tell my parents. I told my sister and I told God and we got into counseling and things changed. I mean, God really used that time in our marriage. It really was a good thing for our marriage, which sounds crazy. We had to talk about everything. And learn to just communicate about how we were feeling, what was going on with us. And so I would say, even though that was horribly hard, as we worked through it, our marriage got stronger. But just when I thought, okay, I can breathe again, life is going to be okay, I found out I was pregnant with our son. I had two miscarriages, actually, in between that, and then found out I was pregnant with our son who we found out was going had a hypoplastic left heart, which is a complicated term, but it means he had half of his heart. And if he didn't have surgery at birth, he would die. Mm. So looked into lots of options and ended up choosing um, a three-part surgery in Michigan. Our doctor had the highest success rate at the time in the world. So we were so excited to get to go up there, had the surgery. He was doing great, came home. And then our doctor at home um, was absent one day. We had a, a cardiologist who was filling in for him, and he saw our son and just said, oh, he looks great. He's wonderful. Mm. I don't think he was a pediatric cardiologist, and he impulsively took Paul off his medicine saying, oh, he doesn't need all this. He doesn't need this. He looks great. His, mm. He seems to be doing wonderfully. But it turns out two days later, he died, and that was this time in my life where I just couldn't believe it. I felt that God had kind of 
walked us through that, given us the best doctor in the world, brought us home. And then to have that happen, I felt that God had really ripped me off, Mm -hmm. honestly. And so it didn't fit in with what I thought God owed me because I felt like I'd been through my big suffering. I thought I have dealt with polio. I've turned to God. I've loved God. My husband had an affair. I've loved God through that. Like God shouldn't do this to me. So I pulled really far away. I mean, I remember, you know, the night he died, actually, I begged God Mm. to save him. I knew he was in the ER. My husband was with him. And when you just sort of pour your heart out and promise everything in the world, like, if you will just save him, I will do anything. And you get to the hospital and he's dead. There is just this disconnect, like, God, you could have saved him. You could have done that, but you didn't. And so I spent a long time, and I don't even know how long it was because I think I lost track of time. And I'm sure you know what that means. After a death, like time just sort of stands still and you don't know what's happening. But I didn't want to open my Bible. I didn't want to talk to God. And I was drifting away, but kind of losing my bearings. Mm -hmm. And one day I was in the car and I just cried out to God and I said, I can't do this. I, I don't know what to do. I pushed in a a worship CD, and um, all of a sudden, God's presence filled my car. Mm. And I went from angry and disconnected from God to feeling God's presence in a way that to this day, I have never experienced God in that way. He was in my car, and he was saying, I'm going to take care of you. Mm. Like, this is life with me. And that is the most sacred moment of my life. Like yeah, I could, yeah. if I could live every moment like that, like life would be amazing. Right. And I yeah. felt like the Lord was like, this is heaven. Like, even though yeah. all these hard things have happened in your life, like they won't even matter when I'm with you and I'm in front of you. And it, it really, I can't describe it well, and I'm sure I'm doing a horrible job, but it was amazing. Yeah. And so after it's one, that moment. It's one of those moment, things that it can't be explained. You know, yeah. I know what you mean because I've had a moment or two like that where God meets you in the midst of this absolute darkness, yeah. this gut-wrenching, just, you know, life-unraveling pain and loss, and he meets you there. And then it's, as Scripture says, the peace that passes all understanding yeah. begins to guard yeah, your it, heart and mind. It's like, what? I don't understand this at all. Yeah. It's like there's this raging storm and yeah. then it's gone. Yeah. And you can't explain it. It can only be experienced. And that's what I love about the fact that like when someone is going through something difficult, there's so many times we try to, we, we try to bring some kind of comfort to their pain by giving them words, you know? And the reality is, is like you, the only true comfort that they're going to experience. Yes. Other people, you can comfort with your own presence, but for them to experience the presence of God. Yeah. That's the only true thing that bring, can bring comfort. And so yeah. as we coach people, as we counsel people, the, the thing I tell them now is like, go ask God to meet you, yeah. to show up. That's it. Like, just ask God to show up because yes. he will, if we open ourselves up to him, he will show up and he will bring the, the comfort, the ministry of the Holy Spirit that nothing else can uh, comfort in, the, in that way. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we underestimate that and we try to bring our own comfort, which is never really comforting. uh -uh. 
Whereas the presence of God in the midst of things, that that changes everything. Yeah. And so that was this point in my life where I realized it wasn't just that God had a purpose, as I knew sort of academically after right. John 9, but God is with me. Yeah. And that really changed yeah. everything. My faith got so much deeper because I wanted to know this God mm-hmm. who I'd committed my life to and went to Bible study and taught Bible study, but it was often kind of an academic faith. Like I felt like, oh, I got to have my quiet time so God will right, be happy right. with me. And then it moved a lot more to, I want to spend time with God and mm. know Him. And so that was a huge turning point in my life. And I feel like that is really when my faith became much more vibrant. Mm. And then I went back to thinking, okay, well, now I got I got <laughs> these major things out of the way. I learned I, the lesson. I'm good. We're good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're good. And mm. then um, I got this severe pain in my arm. And it would not go away and went to lots of doctors. Nobody could figure out what was wrong. And so somebody said, do you think it could be related to polio? And mm. I was like, I still remember saying, no, I mean, that's that's done with. That, that has nothing to do with this. But it wouldn't go away and wouldn't go away. So I went to a polio clinic and there they diagnosed me with post-polio syndrome. Mm. And I didn't know what that was. So I'm guessing most people don't know yeah. what it is, but... Basically, what happens is 30 to 40 years after somebody contracts polio, their motor neurons start dying off, basically, and they start to go backwards. So all the progress that they made when they, from when they first got polio to when they were diagnosed with post-polio, it starts to unwind. And so I was a quadriplegic, and then I had, you know, 21 operations, and I exercised a ton. And so I was able to walk and live a pretty normal life. But they told me, basically, everything's going to unwind. So one day you will be in a wheelchair. And I remember I was an artist at the time. I loved to paint. I scrapbooked. I cooked. I did all that stuff. And I said, what would happen if I don't stop? So they said, you need to stop doing all that. Mm. And they said, if you don't stop in 10 years, somebody is going to be feeding you. That was like, oh my word. Because what they said with post-polio is you basically have a certain amount of energy. Mm. And so the more you do, the weaker you get. It's like money in a bank. The minute you get polio, all the muscles that were affected by polio kind of have a certain amount of energy. Mm. And everything you do, you're taking money out. But they didn't know that for a long time. So basically, the more I do, the weaker I get. So I get to, in some ways, determine how quickly I will go downhill, which is a really hard set of choices. Like you have two young daughters, and they want you to do everything for them, which we all want to do for our kids. And yet I know there's a cost to me for that. So that was excruciating. And, you know, I'm an Enneagram too. I am a helper. That is, that was my identity. And that was really hard before God. I mean, I just would say, you created me to want to help. That's what I want to do. And yet now I can't help. I've got to be helped. Mm. And that really, God had to rewire me and show me that my identity isn't in what I do for people. It is in being a child of God. So it was it was so horribly hard for me at with my personality type, but in some ways it was such a good thing for me because I think God showed me that it really isn't what I do. It's who I am. Wow. 
So that was hard. And it was during that time, I think I got to know or started to read Johnny Erickson Tata and just really coming to terms with, okay, she's a quadriplegic and she has more joy than anybody. That's right. So I can do this. You know, it's not going to be easy, but yet the same God who has changed Johnny Hmm. can change me. So it was really just resting in that. I'm not a great wonderful um, person the way Johnny is. Um, <laughs> if we all could like, be like Johnny. <laughs> I mean, but, um, but God is amazing. Yeah. And so, you know, he's the one that I need to turn to in this. So was just coming to terms with all that. I mean, I was able to give up the doing the dishes and the mm. laundry and all that stuff. So I felt pretty good about myself in giving up those things. Yeah. But it was harder to give up the fun things. So mm. that wow. was a journey that I was taking with my family and Dave was helping me and the girls. But then six years after that, after that diagnosis, Dave came home and told me he was leaving for someone else. Mm. And that honestly was the hardest piece of my whole story for me because everything else happened to me, but it wasn't as Mm. personal. Whereas this was somebody who rejected me. This meant I was alone with no one to process my pain with. This brought a lot of shame with it. And this brought my daughters with it, with their own stories of their dad leaving and feeling rejected and wondering why this happened. And just a lot of pain. And I remember our pastor was talking to me and I just screamed, why does God hate me? Because that's what it felt like at the time. Like, why does God hate me? Like, each time I go through something hard, I think this is it. And somehow I need to get used to this life of continuous suffering, which I didn't want to. And I remember he was great in that he didn't tell me like, oh, your husband's going to come back or, oh, it's all going to be good. He just said, God's going to meet you in this. And that's really what I needed to hear, not the... Uh, oh, I'm sure it's it's just right. a short time, or oh, I know your kids are going to come back to faith, or oh, I know all these great things are going to happen, but just saying, God is with you, mm. and God will use this. And I think that's all we know and all we yeah. can offer people, but the, those truths are so deep yeah. that that's all they need. Yeah. And I really hung on to that, and God walked with me through a lot of uncertainty. My ex-husband and I went back and forth for three years, in which time he actually was living with the person that he left me for, and they had a child. But then after that, he wanted to come back. And so just kind of figuring that out with the girls and ultimately ended up, you know, he ended up staying with her, and we got divorced. But that just kind of ripped our family. We were like the perfect church family. Like he was involved in the church. I taught women's Bible study. The kids were involved in youth group. Like we looked perfect. Then all of a sudden we didn't. And just trying to come to terms with, I am not defined by being a member of this perfect little family. Just like I had had to come to terms with not being defined by being a helper. I was not the one to take casseroles to people who were sick. And now I was not even the one that people could say, oh, look, we want to live the way she does. And yeah. that was one of the hard things for me was just realizing that other people really look at you differently sometimes when you've been through divorce. They right. want to know like whose fault it was and what have yeah. you done? And 
you you definitely lose some kind of status that mm. I think I built too much on. Right. And in losing that, I feel like I had to cling to God. And so it was good. And I would say the Bible really became real to me during that time. Even after Paul died, I feel like I learned about lament and crying out to God. And I definitely liked reading the word, but the word became everything to me after Dave left. I would get up in the morning, homeschooling two girls who were so angry. They were, it was awful. That was my only time to breathe. So I would just say, God, you've got to give me something. And I would, I remember reading Psalm 119, 25, and that became my verse. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. And as I look back, that is when God said, my word is going to be enough. And it was. Every day, God would show me something different. I just remember marking through my Bible thinking, I didn't even know this was here. Yeah. But it was so fresh because God knew I needed that. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have survived without it. And so when I look back on that time, even though it was so hard, I think God really changed my love for the Word, mm-hmm. which I'm very grateful for. And then, um, so my story has this somewhat storybook ending, which is great, or up to today, <laughs> I to this got point, divorced. Yeah. And then um, met this amazing guy named Joel. Um, We met on eHarmony, so I can talk all about um, internet (laughs) dating. But um, we met on eHarmony, and we got married. And Joel has just been amazing. Uh, One of the things that I have always struggled with, and even with my um, ex-husband leaving, to be honest, was, am I just not enough? Mm. You know, and wondering, even with my disability, is it always, was it because of my disability? Was it because of that? Was that too much? Is it the way I walk? Because I've always been self-conscious about that ever since I was seven and kids made fun of that. And one of the things I said to Joel when I said, I don't want to walk down the aisle. I don't like people watching me walk. Mm. And he said, I love the way you walk. And I've loved it Mm. from the beginning. Wow. And that, that to me, when he said that, it almost felt like God saying that to me, like I've made you the way you are. So you need to accept this. And so it was sort of this rewriting of so much of what I believed yeah. about myself and what I thought was wrong with me. Mm. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, along those lines, I mean, that's what that's what we've found, that trauma or loss, trial, you name it what you want to, but that's what it tends to do. It tends to mark us in, 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 in ways that we begin to adopt false beliefs false beliefs yeah. about who God is, false beliefs about who we are, false beliefs about this world. And, you know, you've said a couple of them that you experienced through all of this. You you said that you begin to have false beliefs about you, that you were just, you know, I must have done something wrong to, to warrant all of this suffering, or, you know, God, God must hate me, mm-hmm. you know, what, I, I, you know, you, you just said one of those things that kind of helped to untangle that and, and correct that false belief in you was this experience with your husband. But do you have other ways that you've seen God begin to take those beliefs and rewire them in your heart? I think he's really done that more than anything through scripture mm. and just really believing what he says in the word that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and that God has good plans for me that he does love me. I love um, that verse 
in Jeremiah 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love mm. and really believing that. Because I think a lot of times we we say we believe God loves us, but we really believe God's love is conditional. Yeah. And we believe God loves other people just a little bit more than he loves us. Yeah, yeah. And I think just really coming to terms with that. And that's actually, I think, a gift of suffering in some ways is because we have to find God that way. Right. We have to really find God and find him sufficient and get that he loves us. Yeah. That I think other people know that academically a little bit more and not as experientially. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, I think suffering kind of helps to take those things that we understand, like you said, academically or cognitively from this place tra to travel the 18 inches from our head down to our heart to where we really know it. Yeah. That we really, you know, it's not just something that, oh yeah, I know that, but I mean, we know it to yeah. be true. And that's what I, you know, that's one of the things I love about the word too. I think some people could go, well, how, how is there, how's there power in just this, you know, book, these, this text. Uh, but the word is so much more than that. Oh, yeah. The scripture tells us it's living and active. So it, it almost is like this living and breathing organism because it actually is the words of God. Yeah. And and it was the word of God that created in the beginning of time. He spoke and things came into existence. And so the same power that created is also the power that has the it has the power to recreate in us, to resurrect, to bring to life, you know? And this is this is like in John chapter 6 when Jesus said these hard truths and everybody left and he turns to the disciples and and he's like are you got, are you not going to leave too? And what did they say? They said, "Where are we going to go? You have the words of life." Yeah. You know, they didn't, it's funny. They said, you have the words of life that out of Jesus's mouth, there was, there was power that would breathe life into them. Yeah. And they couldn't sever themselves from that. They're like, I don't want to, I don't want to leave that. I don't yeah. want to be out of your presence. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I think we often so underestimate what the Bible is. And I think I did that for a long time. Like it was just kind of this really nice little word for the day sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. And not this book that God was going to breathe life into me and yeah. change me and advise me and give me purpose and meaning and show me things in prepositions. I mean, I feel like the three greatest prepositions in the Bible are God for us, God with us, and God in us. Mm. And with those things, I mean, the word really speaks all speaks to all of those and speaks just changes us yeah. through those. And I think understanding that, you know, if God is for us, who can be against yeah. us yeah. and really seeing that. And it was funny. I just read, I just finished reading Ezekiel and I hadn't noticed that Ezekiel says, you know, I am for you hmm. in Ezekiel 36. And, and then he goes through and says all the things he's going to do for Israel. And it's like, it's because God is for us. He's going to do all those things. Right. Right. And so, wow. yeah, I think the word is incredible. That's awesome. We have something exciting to share today with you, Nothing Is Wasted family. We are hosting our first ever Nothing Is Wasted Give-A-Thon. Okay, because we've never done this before, we have so many amazing things planned for this Give-A-Thon that you will not want to miss it. Mark your calendars for Thursday, May 6th, from 8.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern on my Facebook page. We're going live. 
Aubrey's going to co-host the Giveathon with me, and we will be joined by some very special guests, like some of our Nothing Is Wasted headquarter team, community group leaders, certified guides, and more. This Giveathon will give you an opportunity to partner with our ministry financially as we reflect on what God has done over the last few years and look forward to where God is moving our organization this year and beyond. You'll have a chance to make a one-time or recurring gift to the ministry, become a monthly partner, donate to scholarships for the Pain to Purpose course and coaching, be able to sponsor a podcast episode or a bundle of podcast episodes, or make a larger donation to sponsor our podcast studio for a year. We will have giveaway opportunities for everyone who tunes in and more fun surprises up our sleeve. So you won't want to miss this first ever Nothing Is Wasted Giveathon. Again, we will be live on my Facebook page, Davey Blackburn, from 8.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursday, May 6th. We can't wait to see you there. You know, I'm really curious, and I know this, I, I probably would not ask somebody this question normally, but I can I can tell you have a rich understanding of God's, God's Word, and I feel like a really strong doctrine. So I'm okay with broaching this topic, but I'm curious as to, um, especially when you got this diagnosis, uh, of the post, what was called post polio. Post polio. Mm -hmm. Okay. Post polio. Um, did it ever cross your mind to think, pray for healing? And yeah. And and I'm gonna follow up with this in your heart and your, you know, as you kind of walk through that, what's the tension between, praying for, yearning for, asking for healing, and um, walking in the acceptance of what it is and asking God, well, what are you trying to teach me in this? Yeah. Because that's a tension that I feel like so many people wrestle with. Yes, they do. And I've wrestled with it myself a lot. I mean, um, just a two-minute story, maybe three. When I was in college, there was a faith yeller that was that came to town, and mm. everybody wanted me to go. And so I didn't want to go because I didn't want to be embarrassed, yeah. but went there, and then they pulled me up on stage, and the guy says to me, you know, why don't you walk? And he said, you know, I, I can totally fix all this. And so prayed mm. for me multiple times, and I wasn't healed. Mm. And he basically looked at me and said, if you had the faith mm. to be healed, you'd be fine. And the interesting thing about that is, so I, I left just so discouraged and yeah. really had to seek God on what does this even mean? Like, I don't want to say that this guy is ridiculous because I don't know. Right. But at the same time, I don't want to assume that my faith isn't enough right. because it really is God that we rely on. It's right. not ourselves. And I do believe that God does heal in answer to prayer when I was, before I actually walked, the doctors didn't think I ever could. And a faith healer came to our house and prayed over me and I was able to walk. So I didn't mention that in my mm. story. And they today, if you ask a doctor if I have enough muscle to walk, they would say no. The polio mm. clinic doctor said, I have never had somebody with as little muscle as you have that can still walk. Wow. So God did that, like absolutely answered that prayer. Yeah. And I was seven. Wow. And yet I'm, you know, 20 in college and God's not doing the complete healing. So mm. I've seen both. And yet I feel like the answer is pray, 
like keep praying. The Bible keeps saying ask, but then it's sort of Jesus's prayer in um, the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, if you are willing, but if not, you know, your will be done. And I think God has purposes in our healing sometimes, and then we're going to be healed. And then God has purposes in letting us um, not be healed, but turn to Him, and that then that's going to happen. And so I think it is a both asking and and believing that God can do it, as well as resting in God's going to give me the very best. Wow! And just trusting that. Wow, that's so good, Vanita. That's a, that's amazing, man. Because yeah, so many people would, and you know they're praying for healing and and doesn't seem like God's showing up for them and so they they question that they wonder do I do I not have enough faith is God not big enough to do this and it leaves them feeling a lot of doubt um wow you know you've had two different instances where your you know your your husband um cheated on you or or you were betrayed um sexually and you felt this obviously these horrible emotions of being rejected and, you know, just, um, such a difficult situation to walk through the first time, especially you really chose the route of, no, we're going to work on this. And you found a lot of restoration and healing as you guys begin to, you know, seek counseling and work on your marriage. And you saw a lot of, um, pieces that God was putting back together and, um, Unfortunately, the more people that we talk to about this, this is a very prevalent issue. It's, you know, we explained to you on the front end of this before we started recording that our sexual betrayal series is in the top 10 most listened to podcasts of our pod, you know, episodes of our podcast. All of those are in that top 10. People are listening to it. They're hungry to find out about this because it's an extremely prevalent issue. I feel like there's not uh, a week that goes by that I'm not hearing about people I know that they're experiencing as well. And, and yet what we find is that some people choose, you know, they, they feel like that the right thing for them to do and what God's leading them to do is stay. And some women, they're the right thing. What God's leading them to do is, is leave. But what I'm experiencing too, is a a massive amount of shaming that takes place for both of those decisions, Mm -hmm. just depending on which camp is spectating in that moment, right? And yes. commentating on that moment. Um, can you give us a little bit of insight, you know, as to you walked through both of those decisions or both those situations, having to walk through some of those decisions and, and what were the guiding factors of that for you? Maybe you can kind of shed some light on why would someone choose to stay and why would someone choose uh, that the best route is, is, you know, divorce, a separation. Yeah. Well, I would say one of the guiding factors for me in staying the first time is I saw repentance and I saw fruit of repentance because I think repentance always has fruit. Wow, that's good. And my counselor really helped me with that. Like, yes, you need to forgive no matter what because that's a vertical thing. That's between you and God, but you do not need to reconcile or restore if there's no fruit and you have no biblical obligation to do that at all. And so that was helpful for me, but I really did see change in my um, husband at the time. And I, 
I was really looking for that. And we had a lot of conversations about it. And at first I didn't. And mm-hmm. so I sort of gave myself a little sort of time frame. Like I, I get that somebody who's betrayed you sometimes, like they're not sorry the day that they're caught and right. found out. But if it, if it's too long, then I think you have every reason to leave. And even if they are repentant, I don't think people are obligated to stay. But I think God can guide you in that. Yeah. I don't think we make these decisions in a vacuum. Like, what That's do we good. think is best? Yeah. For me, it was really asking God every day, mm. show me what to do. Give me a sign. Give me words. Give me um, counsel from people. I love counseling personally. Yeah. And I think we all need people in our lives to walk through this That's with right. us. I got my, um, and the second time I got my church involved, mm. um, the first time we had just moved. So we didn't even have a church, which was just really hard. So I just started to make friends and didn't even know, how do you tell somebody you've just met? I'm like, oh, guess what? This is happening yeah, in my life. Right. And so I didn't do that as much, but I had a counselor and had my sister and really just worked through that with the Lord. Whereas I know a lot of people would have said, you probably should have gone, but I don't regret leaving, um, staying at all, even though it was the same husband who ended up leaving me for someone else. But what God did in our marriage was really good and really real. And I feel like I understood forgiveness and I don't regret it. And then the second time he wanted to come back again, which was after he had had uh, a child with this woman, but it felt like everything he was saying was more because he wanted our old life back. It wasn't really signs of repentance. And I had three um, three conditions, and I came to them after a lot of prayer. And the first one was repent, leave this woman for quite a long, I mean, I didn't have a defined period of time, but it's like you have to leave her before you have me back. Mm, yeah. And then yeah. you need to win me back. Like you have mm. to do that. And those were my three conditions and prayed a lot about it and and felt like that was not negotiable and that was not something he was able to do. Wow. 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 And so it felt clear to me, but yeah. I got, and I, I talk about this in my book a lot, how I was so torn because everybody had an opinion for yeah. me. Everybody was either like, why didn't you kick him out in the first place? Why aren't you divorced like the day he left sort of thing? And then other people were like, divorce is always wrong. You should mm. never get divorced. You should always stay in this. And yep. so I felt like I had all these dis- different voices. You know, Christian women don't do this. You'll never be able to teach a Bible study. You know, there mm. was just all of these voices from my own head, from what other people said. Yep. And it it was very shameful for me. I just... And I had to really let go of that because if I lived in that, I think I would have just taken him back so that everybody would have mm. thought I had this perfect Christian choice. But I felt like that wasn't right. right. I, yeah. I prayed about it. And actually, our pastor, who'd walked me through all of that stuff, said, you have the full backing of me and the entire elder board mm. to get divorced. And so that was really good for me to just have people say, you know, it's not just because he wants to come back. Like, you need to see repentance. And yeah. if you don't, you shouldn't take it back. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's such a difficult issue to walk through. And I love the fact that you're highlighting, you know, hey, we shouldn't make these decisions in a vacuum at yeah. all. We shouldn't make them isolated. We need to make them under the counsel of God's word. We need to make them under the counsel of godly people. We need to have, you know, that great 
team around us that is really helping us to, to discern. And because when we're so emotionally caught up in anything, whether we're talking about making decisions surrounding divorce or whether we're making decisions, you know, after a loss uh, in grief, you know, it's, we can be so close to the emotion of it that it's difficult to make the right, wise, godly and biblical decision. And so yeah. it's so insightful, Vanita. Thank you for sharing that. Um, uh, because I, you, you just have a, you have an interesting perspective on both sides of those uh, equations that I don't know if many people have. So I know that's going to be super helpful to a lot of people who are listening to this. Uh, the, the, the last thing I'd love to really dive into is, you know, as you look through now, you've got such a, what a wonderful redemption story that God's brought, you know, this, um, this, your, your new husband and this blending of this family, but your life has been marred by suffering. I mean, there's been so much and I have to think that there is this lingering thought in your mind that's like, okay, when's the next shoe going to drop? You know, as you look back on everything that has happened and your life is only testified to the fact that like, well, life is full of suffering there, you know, there's gotta be more to come. How do you one, um, face that with, uh, with, you know, resolve and faith and how do you not, uh, get just paralyzed by anxiety? Yeah. I think the more I've suffered, the less afraid I am. Because I feel like... Can you say that again? Say that one yeah. more time. That's The more amazing. I've suffered, the less afraid I am. Wow. Because I know God has been with me in the pit. Wow. When I didn't want to go on, get out of bed, live. And God met me in these extraordinary ways. And I, I really honestly would say that what God has given me in suffering is more than He has taken away. Even mm. on a just a level that I understand. Because... I love God so much. And I can tell you 10 years ago, I didn't love God this much. Wow. And 20 years ago, I didn't love God as much as I did 10 years ago. And it was really suffering mm. because God became so real to me. Like God is not academic to me. I mean, I learn about yeah. God in the Bible, but he's, he's personal. It's not yeah. this, okay, I, I can tell, memorize all of these attributes of God, but God feels distant, that doesn't happen in suffering. And I think people who have really suffered and turned to God, not away, but turned to God, it's much harder for them to walk away from faith mm -hmm. than people. I mean, we hear all the time people walking away from Jesus, which breaks my heart. But I don't know many people who have met God in the fire yeah. and God has walked with them and the pillar of fire has guided them and they have known God that deeply mm -hmm. that walk away because it's not academic. It's not just, right. I can't believe in God anymore. Like you can't not believe in your best friend. They're yep. there. Yep. Wow. It's not academic. And I think that is the greatest gift of suffering is God's not academic to me. He's not academic to you. Yeah. He's a person right. who's your friend. And I think that is a gift that I don't take for granted. When I read people just saying, ah, I just can't believe in God anymore. Yeah. I, I, that breaks my heart. Yeah. And I'm thankful for suffering because it grounds me in the experience of God. Wow. Wow. Man, that is so good. You know, um, 
Elizabeth Elliot said in, in one of her books, I think it was the path of loneliness. She said, uh, what, um, what you gain in relationship to the giver far outweighs the loss of the gift. Mm. And it echoes something that I just heard you say that, you know, what you've lost through the suffering is it, it pales in comparison to what you've gained from God because of it. And I never got a chance to talk face to face with Elizabeth Elliot. Right. And she mm. passed away years ago. Um, but I feel like that I'm talking with someone who is very much has, has a kindred spirit uh, with her right now. This has been an honor to have a conversation with you about this because few people have walked through what you're, what you've walked through and you know, and you've tasted the goodness of the Lord like few people have been able to taste. Um, it's enviable, and yet everybody, none of us, wants to have to go through what you've gone through in order to um, experience the kind of presence that you are experiencing. And so we're so grateful for the insight that you're bringing to us where we can kind of experience it secondhand. And also the encouragement to know that whatever suffering that we walk through, we don't have to be afraid. Yeah. I mean, I would say, yeah, that was, that's the biggest gift God gives us is, you know, this idea that we say, what if the worst happens? You know, what if, you know, my child dies or my spouse leaves and I've had a lot of all that happen. A lot of worst. Yeah, exactly. And then just realizing, you know, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said, like, even if the worst happens, God will be there. Like we have that assurance, even if the very worst happens in all of our lives, God's going to be there. That's amazing. Well, Vanitha, your your book is called Walking Through the Fire. Uh, it's your latest book. And um, I, I am so thrilled uh, for people to read this book. And so you, if you're listening to this, you've got to pick it up. You're going to hear, it's a memoir, so you're going to hear some of what Vanitha just talked about. And then she's going to expound quite a bit on what the Lord has taught her. So if you're walking through suffering, if you uh, have, or if you, guess what? All of us will. So anticipate that you will walk through suffering. This is going to be a great manual for you to pick up, um, to give you a, a pathway on walking through the suffering. And so we just, we appreciate the fact that you put all this into, uh, into words, you know, that are going yeah. to help us in this. And I appreciate you spending time with me and having this conversation with me. Ah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. Told you that conversation would not disappoint Vanitha. Oh, amazing. Reisner. Wow. Wow. Um, you know, Aubrey, one of the things that we talked about a little bit in this conversation was uh, the subject of healing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she had a couple of different accounts, different stories and kind of different sides of the equation when it comes to healing. And I wrestle with this too, because, you know, as a, as a pastor, you have people that come up to you and they ask to pray for healing. And I believe mm-hmm. that God can heal. And but there's no rhyme or reason or formula for it, right? God God does what he does. That's and right. so sometimes yeah. you're like, is he going to heal? And sometimes he does. And sometimes the healing is actually part of the process. And one of the things she, I think she coined it so well is the idea that there's, there's a sustaining grace and a, mm. a delivering grace. Sometimes God gives delivering yeah. grace and sometimes he gives sustaining grace. Now, Vanitha yeah. is going to come back. And she's going to talk to us about this topic. We're going to dive deeper into that in a bonus episode in June. 
So for those of you guys who are monthly partners, you're going to be able to be privy to this conversation. If you're not a monthly partner, you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash partners and you can become a monthly partner. Um, and if you want to, you can set up a trial, a free trial for seven days to kind of like preview the partner content before you can commit. But I'm telling you, you won't want to miss this conversation that we have with Vanitha on the difference between delivering grace and sustaining grace and the importance of be both so of those good. in our life. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Another thing that Vanitha talked about in the conversation you just had with her, Davey, was this idea of combating false beliefs about ourselves and mm -hmm. then the role of shame in our, really, our suffering journey or our healing journey. Yeah. And, I, you know, I... I think about shame a lot as a four on the Enneagram. Shame is like my big sort of mm -hmm. sin, uh, my big sort of shadow side. And for for people who don't know, shame is that feeling of not enoughness. So it can uh, be big, wow. right? Or it yep. can be small. But anytime you're tempted to feel like I am not enough, something about me is wrong, that's shame. That's yeah. shame kind of rearing its ugly head. I think what's interesting about shame, Davey, is that we tend to think, especially in our society, that shame is only bad all the time. Shame is the enemy. Don't feel shame. Yeah. But the reality is, is that shame is actually an indicator that something shameful has happened. Hmm. For instance, in my story, I mean, listeners know that I experienced sexual assault yeah. a couple times growing up, and I have felt shame because of that. Took me a long time to realize the shame that I felt was because something shameful happened. Now, I didn't do it. Some mm. sin was inflicted upon me. Shame was inflicted upon me. But that was a moment for me to go, oh, Lord, I feel ashamed about this because this is bad. Yeah. This is evil. This is not what you wanted. But what we're promised in our shame, Psalm 34, 5 says that if we look to God, mm. he removes our shame and he replaces it with radiance instead. Wow. And so shame can be a, it really, it can be like the, the keys to your freedom, or yeah. it can be a prison sentence. You, you can have a choice in your shame. I'm feeling it now. Do I bring it to God or do I let it wow. control me? Wow. Um, and it's an important part of the healing process. And sometimes if you're healing from Maybe it's not assault. Maybe it's not abuse. It's something that Vanitha has walked through. A chronic illness, loss, deep, dark pain. You can feel shame over all kinds of mm. things. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense. Um, but again, every moment is an opportunity to go, okay, Lord, here I am again. Yeah feeling like I'm not enough, but I know that's not what you say about me. Yeah. I know that I am your beloved son. I know that I am your beloved daughter. You call me very good. You have since the dawn of time. And so right. I'm going to live into that, not into this shame place. But it is something we have to be aware of. Don't you think, Davey? 100%. Because I think that shame, the way it plays itself out externally, or at least the way it looks or masks itself, is not usually in shame, it's in some other kind of emotion or response, right? Right. It's usually in anger or it's in withdrawal or it's in, mm -hmm. it's in more of a, a, a guarded emotion, a, a more of a mm -hmm. protected type emotion. And so I think we have to have a lot of self-awareness, a lot of a emotional intelligence to be able to pull the thread on that and go, what's really underneath this? Yeah. What's the more vulnerable emotion that I'm experiencing right now that's underneath this really calloused emotion you know, right. and, and a lot of times it is shame. And I think the second that you begin to articulate that, I know this, it, it, I remember specifically a circumstance. I won't go into the details of it. I remember specifically a circumstance where I, I confessed that I was feeling shame about something and it was liberating because yes, 
I thought I was feeling something else. I thought I was feeling mad or upset or, you know, even embarrassed. Like I thought, but there was something even deeper and that was shame because it had a deeper root, um, to, to some lies that I was telling myself. And as soon as I articulated, Hey, I'm, I'm feeling shame about this Mm -hmm. man immediately. It wasn't like it was cured, but it was like the power began to subside from that shame. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think when we can like name our shame, Mm -hmm. especially to trusted people in our lives, shame begins to lose its power over us. There is something really freeing about bringing it out of the darkness into the light and just even just phoning a friend like I'm feeling ashamed right now and your friend can speak some truth over you and you go, okay. Uh, Or like you said, you think it's one thing and then you go, oh, wait, here's that feeling again where I don't feel like I'm enough. Oh, Um, something about acknowledging that I think the Lord just in his kindness really gets to those tender places in us. A lot of times it's those childhood places in us and he, he speaks goodness over us and he reminds us who we truly are. So we don't have to live in these false beliefs about ourselves anymore. That's so good. Well, what we're talking about here really is that we're talking about some of these emotions that we feel are invitations from God to get us to a place where we start to partner with him to take back our story. And, and we pull the thread on these emotions and we go, okay, God, I'm going to step into that invitation instead of running away from it, instead of shutting that emotion down, instead of locking it up in a closet because I don't know what to do and how to deal with this. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to walk in that, into that invitation and, and, and I'm going to start partnering with you. And that's the yep. key to taking back our story. We want to help you with that at Nothing Is Wasted. We want to help you get started on the journey. We want to help you continue the journey. If you've found, found yourself stuck or stutter stepping at all, uh, we want to help you in some ways finish the journey, right? This is all part of about finishing the race that, that uh, right. God has put in front of us and moving through our valley. The only way out of your valley is through the valley. And so we've got a lot of tools at nothingiswasted.com to help you with that. You help you get started. Maybe you want to join a community group and talk with other people who are walking through the same kind of valley that you are. Maybe you want to take the pain to purpose course. We have several different ways you can take that. You can take it by yourself. You can take it in a group. You can do it with your small group. You can do it at your church if your local church is offering it. And if your local church isn't, we would love to help you uh, to offer that at your uh, local church. You can also, if you want to really get into some deep investment with somebody else who can walk you one-on-one through your pain journey, you can hire a certified guide. We like to match people with the exact pain point or the exact valley that you're walking through. So maybe, maybe you're walking through a, a valley where you've lost a young child. We have a certified guide who can help you because that's their story. And we want to be able to just um, provide you with those resources. So go to nothingiswasted.com to find out uh, about those and, and, and more things that we have that can help you partner with God to take back your story. And speaking of nothing is wasted, Davey, we are getting ready to celebrate our fourth birthday. That's right. We are. Which is really <laughs> exciting. I love birthdays. I love celebrations it's, and I love that it's the fourth one. So this is fabulous. Yeah. Aubrey, what, what's so cool about this is this, this actually is a, it's a birthday for nothing is wasted. It's also a birthday for you and your involvement with nothing I mean, is wasted. It's kind of an anniversary yeah, for me, right? Yeah. This marks a year of you being on our team. And I'm so glad that you're in the mix of all of this stuff because you and I are going to feel like I should get a cake. I think that's a great idea. You're going to have a cake. I'm going to have a cake. And we're also inviting Christy to join us on this episode. She's also going to, everybody gets a cake. Cake for everyone. Oh, but what we're going to do is we're going to answer your questions. We're going to do a Q and a, and we're going to do a little bit differently. 
Um, we're going to have you listeners call your question in, leave it on a voicemail, and I'm going to give you the number that you can call in. We would love for you to participate in this with us. Ask any question you want to, grab your pen. Here's the number. Ready? 317-983-1090. Again, that's 317-983-1090. We want you to call in and leave a voicemail, and this is what you're going to say. You're going to tell us your name, where you're from, and ask your question. Again, your name, where you're from, ask your question. We would love to have you as a part of this. And uh, we're going to pull from all of those questions and see if we can answer this for you so we can provide as much helpful resourcing as possible. I think the best part about this, Aubrey, I'm biased, but Christy's going to be on this with us. She has all the Christy's wisdom. Christy's going to be amazing. We're going to toss every question to her to say, all right, baby, you answer I that. I agree. We'll just step away <laughs> from our mics and let Christy take over. This is a Christy takeover <laughs> episode is. is what it really is. <laughs> hey, I want to give a special thanks to Sleeping At Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can find his music wherever you listen to music. I love listening to Sleeping At I Last, Davey. I get in a like, good mood and I listen to mm-hmm. it. He's uh, such a creative guy. So. You can also follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, at Davey Blackburn, and at Obsamp. Next week, we have an interview I'm so excited about with Daryl Strawberry. Yes, the former Major League Baseball player. And so listen to this little clip from my conversation with next week's guest, Daryl Strawberry. You know, growing up in a dysfunctional home, my father was a raging alcoholic and, you know, he would come home every night with some crazy stuff and he came home for the last time. I was about 14 years old and he was yelling at my mother and me and my brothers woke up and my older brother, Michael, just told him, only get out here, leave us alone. And he pulled out a shotgun and, you know, he talked about he was going to kill the whole family. And, and there was my brother, Ronnie, went in and grabbed the butcher knife. I grabbed a frying pan and my mother looked at us and she, she gave us that look like, get out of the house, you know, because she, she knew right then that, you know, we were about to respond. And I always tell people it could have been a tragedy in my life before I ever put the uniform on. So I was already scarred the wounds and, and the scars were already there from the rejection and the beatings that we received from my father because he was an alcoholic. And yeah. I always say that my pain led me to my greatness, but my greatness would eventually lead me to my destructive behavior. doesn't matter how well you become and what you achieve if you don't ever get healed on the inside.